0: Welcome to the XTERRA Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The XTERRA mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy, as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we'll be exploring on the XTERRA website, as well as on this podcast every week. But from life on Earth to potential life on the moon, our guest this week is Bill Kemp, the CEO of United Space Structures, which has plans to build a human habitat on the moon in this decade. And Bill, thanks for taking time for us today.
1: Oh, My pleasure, thanks Tom.
0: Let's talk a little bit about your background first and how you came to be involved in this business.
1: Sure, so I've spent the last 35 plus years in uh, uh, mission critical design. Uh, for the architecture, engineering, construction industry, uh, mission critical facilities are facilities that must stay up, up and running uh, regardless of manmade or natural disasters. So these are hospitals, or command centers, or research facilities, or a lot of Tier four data centers. Um, so you know, my background has been involved in redundant systems and hardened systems, and and so they're, they're complicated architectures to uh, design and build. So uh, that's, that's kind of been my background.
0: So talk then a little bit about the vision for United Space Structures.
1: Um, well, our vision, our vision is to provide habitation capabilities to enable lunar and Martian commerce to thrive while humans explore and exploit uh, local resources to become Earth-independent while establishing permanent, sustainable human presence on the moon and Mars. So we, we look to push out into the solar system.
0: What are some of the factors, Bill, that have led to this fairly aggressive timeline? On your website, you say you want to have this system established by the end of the decade, by 2030. What gives you an idea that you'll be able to establish a permanent, basically, presence on the moon in essentially 10 years?
1: So the market uh you know I've been watching the market for a long time and the market is you know gotten to the point where you know we've gone through the discussion about Mars and asteroids and the moon and where should we go and how should we venture forth and um and I think everyone's kind of decided that you know the moon that bright shiny object in the sky every night is our closest you know way of of starting You know because we started there 50 years ago. We haven't been back. So Seems logical to go there uh, Gather the resources to be able to expand out into the solar system and build the infrastructure required for Sustainable living in space, which is a very inhospitable area So
0: we go ahead
1: we've got a very aggressive schedule Um, our our construction process is rather simplistic, um, but it's still complex because it's going to be operated by teleoperated robotics that I've designed, and um, and so you know we have a lot of things to do before before anyone builds a building here on Earth. Uh, you spend a couple of years designing it. Um, you know, it's architecture, it's engineering. You know, all the different considerations. And then and then you know we create the drawings and the specifications and and then we hand it over to a contractor and they build it. So, you know, there's there's a lot of work to be done, not only for the architecture and the engineering systems, but also for the robotic systems that are gonna be building uh these facilities on the moon. So um uh but you know it's it's an aggressive schedule. We wanna we wanna do it and do it quickly and uh meet meet up with the marketplace, which Uh, We, we think that we can, if we can secure funding, you know, soon uh, we can actually start construction around 2026, be complete around 2028 and start to move in and around 2028.
0: This habitat that you're envisioning is not what most people think of as the uh, 2001 space odyssey moon colony, for lack of a better description, you've got kind of a different approach that has to do with basically having your entire or 90% of what it is that you want to build underground on the moon. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So the moon is a very inh- inhospitable area, um, like much of spaces um, and the greatest danger um, in, in space is radiation. It's just constant, never ending. You know, you have solar radiation uh, and a solar Day is two weeks, and the solar night is two weeks, because uh, we're tidally locked. And but you know, even when the sun's not shining, you still have cosmic radiation coming from all directions in the universe uh, and hitting hitting the surface. So radiation is the biggest problem. And so we we found that the safest place to go is underground. Is to build our facilities within a lava tube. And then we can, uh, and then we don't have to harden our structure for radiation because we're going to have thirty to fifty meters of regolith overhead uh, to protect us from that radiation. If you if you look at the website, you'll see, you know, we have this structure on the surface, and and that's a rover port. That's an important uh, ingress egress way of getting in and off off the surface. So that you can go out and do whatever you need to do on the surface, but the The majority of the facility is underground. It's a tower. It's a it's a cylindrical high-rise tower uh, that spans from the floor of the lava tube to the to the roof of the lava tube And right now we've we've got that designed to be um, a hundred meters or 300 feet tall by um 33 meters or 100 feet in diameter um and so uh, uh the nice thing about our design is that you know we can we can um, expand and contract that design given the requirements of the lava tube itself so we're gonna you know if, if the lava tube is taller than 100 meters then we can grow it taller or if it It's shorter Then we can make it shorter. Um, we can expand the diameter of the of the facility. So, um So, you know, that's 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 what our vision is right now is to be able to build these uh high-rise towers uh, within the lava tubes and there's 62 known lava tubes on the moon and there's also lava tubes on mars. So the same process and construction system will work there also
0: obviously nobody's gone out and done a site survey on one of these lava tubes. How do you basically know that they're going to be, um, amenable to having a, a structure in them? I mean, you, until you go and put quote unquote boots on the ground and look inside, is it, uh, you're going to be investing a lot of money to be sure that, um, for, for something that you really don't know what's there. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. So, uh, it's a great question. Um, You know right now we're making assumptions so our design is is based on the certain assumptions that Lava tubes are you know considerably larger on the moon and Mars than than they are on earth Um, Because the gravity is one-sixth of Earth's gravity You know that means that they could potentially be six times larger than earth-based lava tubes so that's that was our assumption and until we get survey information uh, that's what we have to stick to but we're planning in around 2023 uh, sending three different survey missions, robotics based survey missions to the three different sites that we've identified on our website. Uh, two are on the front side of the moon, and one is on the back side. And, and we want to explore those lava tubes uh, and actually do a, a 3D scan of those lava tubes so that we can get the geometry of the interior of the lava tube and, and know what its height and width and, and you know, cross-section profile of, of the lava tube is. Uh, and, then, and then we'll pick the, the best out of those three and we'll start there and build.
0: One of the other advantages uh, I read on your website to having the structures underground is that you do get a far more consistent temperature, um, even though it's still very cold. It's, it's way more consistent than you would if you had a, a surface-based colony.
1: Right. Well, so on the surface, you know, it, during a, a lunar night, it's negative 250 degrees Fahrenheit. And during the lunar day, it's Positive 250 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's a it's a 500 degree Fahrenheit Delta between those and and you know that causes some design issues Um, And you know, it's just Just a a horrific, you know environment to be in so within the lava tubes It's it's a negative four degrees Fahrenheit or negative 20 degrees centigrade Constantly underground now, you know that's cold, um, but one of one of the features of our data of our uh, of our lava tube uh, structure is that we're going to have tenants that have lava uh, that have um, data centers, and those data centers will generate heat, um, and we'll be able to reutilize that heat within the facility. So, so we have a way of mitigating that. Um, I'd, I'd much rather deal with negative twenty degrees centigrade than than two hundred and fifty degrees, you know, Fahrenheit on the surface. I mean, it's just it's just way too hot.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the sites you have identified. You said two were on the side that faces the Earth. Two were on, one is on the the far side of the Moon. What caused you to choose other than the presence of the actual lava tubes, uh, lava lava tubes? I did speak English for a living for a while. Um, what made you choose those particular sites?
1: So we worked with the NASA geologist and we told them, you know, there's three requirements that we have. And based on those three requirements, you know, we kind of created a Venn diagram of, of those three requirements. And, and where they all three intersected was, you know, the th- first three sites that we picked. You know, we, we originally wanted to go to the South Pole because that's where everyone wants to go to mine lunar ice in the, in the permanently shadowed craters, but there are no lava tubes down there. So, so the three requirements was, you know, lava tubes, obviously, we need to build within those. Um, we needed, you know, surface materials that lunar miners would be interested in mining. Um, And then we needed the materials that we're going to be building our lava tube structures out of um, that are also on the surface of the moon. We needed those resources also available in that area. So those are the three basic criteria that we had. And then based on that, uh, we came up with these three locations.
0: I know you're not going to give away anything proprietary, but talk a little bit about how this robotic construction process is going to work to build these these habitats in the lava tubes
1: yeah um we're we're right now doing provisional patenting so i don't really want to go into uh, a lot of proprietary information but i I can certainly give you enough to uh, uh, let people envision what we're doing and how we're doing it basically so what our equipment is going to be doing is, is building a, a tension structure uh within vertically within the lava tube.
0: You're now, going to have to come off your architecture and engineering and talk about what a tension structure is just very briefly.
1: <laughs> right. So the golden gate bridge or the Brooklyn bridge, those are both tension structures, right? They have cables that hold the roadbed um, suspended above the water. And so we're gonna gonna suspend cables in a circular pattern uh, within the lava tube that stretches from from the top of the lava tube all the way down to the floor of the lava tube. And we're gonna put those in tension. And then we're gonna surround those with a a spiral uh, uh, attachment of of additional cables um, to those vertical cables and then we're gonna put a, a lath material. Now a lath material is, it's a, it's a woven uh, basalt fabric. And so we're gonna attach those to the cables um, that we've already attached, uh, already built. And, and then after that's in place, we're gonna put a, a counter spiral uh, cable over top of that to create a composite uh, structure uh, in tension. And um, and then once that's done, we're going to apply a, a waterless cement to both the inside and the outside of that structure uh, To create the structural shell of of the uh, facility um, So once that's done and it's sealed um, We'll be able to uh, Have humans, you know, we will fill it with air and we'll heat it and air condition it We'll light it and and then we'll uh, bring it up to temperature and we'll uh, allow people to work in shirt sleeves to then fit out the interior of of that structure. Uh, So basically that's, that's how, and what we're going to be doing.
0: How many missions do you anticipate it will take to get all of the equipment that's needed, even before the first person ever sets foot on one of these uh, on one of these sites to get all of that, process going it sounds like it's going to require a whole lot of of heavy lift to get that stuff to the moon and there's not a lot of people going to the moon right now
1: right so so the vast majority of the mass of our structure is a lunar material uh surface lunar material for the the waterless cement we will need to take the cables um, which will be made out of basalt um, which you know the lava tube is full of basalt. Um, so future you know future structures will will mine that uh, basalt and we'll be able to make our cables um, from on the moon uh, for our future facilities. But for the first one, we're going to need to bring some cables and connectors and 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 there's going to be specialized equipment for medical and for food pro- uh, production and and you know just uh, you know living. Uh, we're going to need those kind of things brought to the moon. But the vast majority of the mass for the very first structure is going to come from the moon itself. Um, so we just need to take the robotics and some of that equipment to the moon, hopefully in a, hopefully in a single trip, um, and then uh, deploy it. And then those robotics will be teleoperated from Earth uh, continuously until they complete the structure, able to seal it up and allow people to then go there and and do the rest of the work.
0: Now you've talked a lot about your quote unquote tenants. And I know on your website, you describe yourself as basically a lunar real estate developer. Tell us a little bit about who you see as your potential clients, tenants, inhabitants for the, uh, for the structures.
1: Yes. Well, So USS um, is going to design, build, own, and operate um, this facility. And um, our goal is to long and short-term lease out space within that facility for other clients who want to have access to the moon uh, long-term and sustainably. So, um, you know, there's a variety of tenants that we're going to have. Space miners are going to be one of them. Uh, Lunar scientists obviously is going to be another Uh, my background is in data centers So, you know, we're going to be uh, building data centers on the moon not only for uh, Data that's being gathered and and stored uh, about the moon activities, but also for earth Um, we can we can um, uh, ultra secure store and process information uh, from earth Uh, On the moon so that regardless of what happens on earth uh, People will have access to that data uh, on the moon. So so those are basic tenant types Uh, our only short-term tenant type is a um, Our space tourists right who? Who wants to go to the moon? I mean who wants to be the the first people to go and stay on the moon for a week on a vacation? I mean, maybe not everybody initially, but, you know, eventually uh, those prices will come down and, uh, you know, more and more people will be able to uh, have the ultimate uh, vacation. So that's, um, uh, that's what we're thinking at this time. Uh, You know, we, we, um, we're a real estate development company. We, uh, we want to build space properties and then be able to uh, provide those properties to other other people because, you know, the hardest part of, of being on the moon is is figuring out how to build and sustain yourself on the moon. And and we're taking that issue off most people's table because we're going to be doing that. And then, you know, we'll be able to lease out that space for those people who want to take advantage of those unique opportunities.
0: And then sort of like Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come.
1: Well, we, we're talking to a lot of people right now. There's you know, worldwide, there's um, uh, uh, United States, Europe, Canada, Australia, Japan, India, uh, South America, Russia, China. They they're all racing headlong to the moon. So you know, obviously, there's a market demand, uh, and there's applications. Um, if we're going to build an infrastructure for going out into the solar system and eventually going to Mars you know, it makes a lot more sense to get those resources from the moon where we can launch six times more mass for the same amount of energy off the moon than we would launching it off of Earth. So, um, you know, it's a bold idea, it's, um, it's big, um, but, you know, we intend to be a forcing factor to uh, get people to think differently about what's possible in space.
0: So what gives you the kind of confidence that people will be traveling to the moon in large enough numbers, even in the medium term, to, to make the business profitable? I guess basically what I'm asking is, what does your business model look like?
1: Right. So we're already in talks with a, a variety of uh, lunar miners, and they're very interested. And um, so they want to start operations. Some of them are going to be starting operations in 2023. Uh, long before we have our facility up and running. But um, with our facilities up and running, they have other capabilities that they, can, that they could do and they could expand and have more people involved and in teleoperating their robotics um, from the comfort of our, of our facility. Um, and if something breaks down, they can go out and figure it out and fix it, um, where they couldn't do that if they were teleoperating from Earth. Um, there's um one one of our tenant types is not really human centric. So, you know data centers um, are uh, something that we've Expanded out into here on earth Uh for the last 20 30 years Uh at exponential rates and and so you know, that's not going to slow down or change And so, you know, we can put a lot of data center capacity on the moon Without having a lot of people there, and they operate 24 hours a day. So, so you know, we don't need a lot of people in order to make those data centers operational and capable and and uh, and generating revenue. Um, eventually, you know, when Elon Musk and and uh, Jeff Bezos and and the rest of them, you know, uh, produce larger, uh, more frequent flights. Um, going to have tourists and they're going to want to experience what the moon is all about Um, and they're going to want to do that in a safe and and comfortable way so um so we we think there's there's plenty of opportunity and then then you have space scientists that you know been studying the moon for over 50 years anyway and so you know um having them right there uh, being able to do more things and be able to explore not only the surface, but also within the lava tubes themselves um, We're gonna be able to have an ingress egress uh, spot, you know at the base of our Of our structure right into the lava tube. So, you know, there's a whole field of scientists that have never seen underground in that capacity that they're going to have access to so we think that there's more than enough capacity uh to pay for this thing um in the short term
0: how important is the reduction in launch costs that we're seeing now in this industry to the business model that you have
1: yeah well I, that's you know absolutely vital um you know, used to be $10,000 a kilogram. Now it's down to 2,500 and soon it could be much less than that. So, so, you know, that was, that's been a forcing factor to, to create um, a lot of opportunities in space that weren't available before because it was just too expensive. So, you know, that's, that's an important factor. uh, But we've already reached the point where uh, since most of the mass that we need to use to build this facility is on the moon already, um, it's not as big a factor for us, even though we've got a very bold idea.
0: And one last thing about your financing, because you did talk a little bit earlier in the interview about trying to raise money. Um, are you seeing a lot of interest from the venture capital community in this idea of being able to basically have a semi-permanent habitation on the moon?
1: Yeah. um, You know, more and more people are interested in the new space environment. Um, And I would say, you know, we're getting more interest from angel investors than VCs. Um, And what's, I guess, most troubling is that uh, there's more foreign investors interested in us and other new space uh, companies than American investors. And, you know, to, to a ratio of 300 to 1. So, you know, that's uh from a security standpoint that's that's kind of troubling that you know uh america investors are not are not uh coming to the table uh as much as you know foreign investors are seeing you know opportunities um so you know we're getting but we're getting plenty of interest um you know to kind of give a an idea we've we've forecasted that um the current cost of the very first facility is going to cost about $1.56 billion. Now, sounds like a lot of money and it is a lot of money, but if you think about, you know, an ocean liner, you know, a cruise ship, uh, that's about $1.5 to $2 billion each. And then if you think about a sports arena for a professional football team, that's, that's again, another $1.5 to $2 billion. So, so the value, you know, is, is, is weighed with the cost. And so if the, if the value is, is great enough, then the cost is, it's not insignificant, but it, it's within reason, right? So we, we think that each of these facilities, at least initially could generate up to $42 billion a year, every year. So, you know, the $1.52 billion to build the first facility uh, is dropping the bucket compared to $42 billion that could be generated from each facility. Now, the, the cost of that first facility gets amortized over the second and the fifth and the tenth and the hundredth facility that we want to build up there because the equipment has already been designed and built, which is most of the cost of the first facility. Uh, We'll have people you know, up there after the first facility is running. So, and, and we're going to use more and more uh, in situ resources from the moon uh, for the second and the fifth and the tenth facilities. So, so we're going to need to import even less material. So that, that initial cost gets spread over many, many different facilities eventually. And so the, the cost um, gets much lower uh, for every subsequent facility.
0: Oh, Bill, it's a fascinating idea And I wish you very good luck And we'll be keeping an eye on you And, and seeing how you progress It sounds like you've got uh, got a good start And pretty much well on your way Thanks,
1: Tom Yeah, it's a very exciting time You know, I, I grew up watching the Apollo uh, Yeah, you
0: lights. and me both <laughs> We both did And, and that's, um, that's sort of what got me interested as well Bill Kemp is the CEO of United Space Structures, which plans to build a human habitat on the moon in this decade. Bill, again, thanks very much for talking with us today.
1: Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate the
0: opportunity. That is going to do it for this edition of the XTERRA podcast. Find us on the web at www.xterrajsc.com and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at space underscore commerce. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening.